Be anything, do anything, go anywhere. All världen gör allt du vill höra om. Ett perfekt liv kan du få, så gå för skatten. Es läst alla träume vad som machen. Och jag ser på vilag, min dig och jag gini, sa åt ena mulla, men bara ska vi Hey there, Mike and Pelling listeners. I'm your host, Aaron. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, only one in five Americans can converse in two or more languages. However, one of them happens to be Jared Gimble, a polyglot with a growing arsenal of 12 languages. I've invited him to talk to us about how he manages it, what wisdom he's picked up along the way, and to spit some multilingual poetry rhymes. Let's welcome him. What languages do you speak, Jared? Excellent question. Now, there are many polyglots that say that if anyone gives you an exact number of languages that they, they speak, then that means that they are not a true polyglot. Although I do think that the question of wh- who or what is a true or not polyglot doesn't particularly matter. Um, to tell you the truth, I, when I joined the Hyperpolyglot Society in December 2019, I submitted videos in 12 different languages in which I had to record myself speaking them without a script for one minute each or longer. And the answer I usually give is 12. Although I think that a lot of people who have been around the language learning block always put like an approximately sign right before. Um, Because the fact is, is that um, often that can change. Because Knowing languages are a bit like friendships, that some of them they enter your life um, for whatever reason, and then you can bond with them very much. And then sometimes, as with certain friendships, they can fade out due to the fact that you're in a different place. And then when you come back, then uh, the friendship continues just as before. And I think it's the same with uh, language knowledge as well. So I will say 12, although previously in my life, like I've studied well over 50, but that doesn't mean that I can have a conversation in all of them. Of these 12, half of them I can do my job in, that is to say I can teach full classes, and the other half I describe as bar conversations, uh, languages where you put a pint of beer or cider in front of me, and then a native speaker, and then I can manage to talk about everything that happened in my day well enough not necessarily without mistakes, but well enough in order for them to actually tell their family, oh, I met someone who speaks Finnish this evening or something to that effect. And uh, sometimes it can get particularly funny if you only know like three sentences of a language as what happened five years ago when I met a guy from Wales and then I mustered a number of sentences in Welsh and guess who ended up on his Instagram story or whatever they were using those days. It was you. Indeed. That's so interesting. I heard that learning languages and speaking them is kind of like learning a sport or a skill, so you got to do some maintenance. And I'm happy that you touched on that because in my research, learning about like what the world record polyglot on the streets these days is, it's like repping maybe 58, 59 languages. And, you know, you... You, you use it or you lose it. And, and you, you, you touched on that, which I think... Shows honesty. Um, I don't want people calling, you know, anyone a liar. But 
that's why I asked you to make a poem to utilize all 12 languages that you uh, know. And what's fantastic about this poem that you're going to share with us is each line is utilizing a different language, and each line rhymes, right? I yeah. did that, yes. Although, admittedly, for some of them, I had to fudge it a little bit, but well enough. Um, fun thing, I think that um, if you're a fan of like the Disney's animated films, it uh, behooves you to know that they've rendered pretty much their entire catalog into 40-plus languages and complete with rendering all of the songs with rhymed lyrics in the respective languages as well. And um, the general content of the, the lyrics remain, and often a good deal of phrases from the English original find themselves in very faithful renditions in the, um, in the various languages texts. Although uh, we call these localizations, and one particularly hilarious example was the Hungar one Hungarian rendition of the Flintstones at uh, Freddy ish Benny, like Freddy and Benny. Um, <laughs> that's referring to Fred and Barney. And this entire localization of the Flintstones was done in Dr. Seuss-style rhyme, which makes it surreal to watch. Yeah, if there's a YouTube link, I'd love to watch that. I can provide that. Good. Or did, is, is the channel that uploaded it yours, your personal one? Um, no, it is not, because like I can't go swimming in the Piranha River of copyright strikes, even for edutainment per, or educational purposes. I don't blame you. What I love about this poem is I think it's one of a kind in, in human history. I don't think any poem has ever existed that utilizes 12 languages, and at least these 12 languages, because there's so many languages, like, it's such a unique combination, and what else is unique about it? it each line rhymes, like, it's, it's absolutely such a unique creation, and you were kind enough to give me a signed copy that I need to frame and hang up, so uh, thank you for that. I, I want to get out of the way, though. I want you to share the poem now, if, okay. if you're so... Inclined. So I will apologize to those who understand the various languages and the fact that this is a very sweetsy cutesy poem about, uh, you know, the world is your oyster, everything you want, etc. Vaguely inspired by the likes of Dr. Seuss, uh, Shel Silverstein. Um, so I'll go ahead and I'll pause after each line. Okay, are we ready? We're ready. Be anything, do anything, go anywhere. Was werden ge alt, du will heo mehr. Yes, hamon halomot, pa olomeno. Apuni ludi, tore dostano to chokzu. Alts can sein schlecht, nor seinen do hofenungen, but in the vashit store, potipino tungen. Et perfect live can du for, so go for scatten. Es lest alle träume wahr zu machen. Ha antierler shin, an hele law. Cada dia in paradiso. Con una nueva alma. Oyan sepa vilag, minde oyan chini. Sa ot aina mulla, mon paras kaverini. There you have it. Wow. I'd clap, but I don't think it'd be good for the audio. So uh, I'm extremely impressed. What languages were included there? Okay, so. Tell us line by order. line. English, Danish, Hebrew, Slovak, Yiddish, Norwegian. Swedish, German, Scottish Gaelic, 
Spanish, Hungarian, and Finnish. But who's counting, right? Perhaps. That's amazing, man. Thank you. What was the hardest line to do? The hardest line was actually trying to uh, rhyme zu machen, like to make, because German is very atypical by virtue of the fact that unlike Yiddish or Dutch, its siblings, it does require fairly arcane ways of arranging sentences, as even a beginner student of German will tell you. And so I happened to rhyme skatten, meaning a treasure, in other cases, taxes, with uh, machen. Uh, so the Swedish and the German words do not exactly <laughs> rhyme, but I tried. And then the rest of it. And then the word chini in Hungarian means sort of like cute or cutesy. And then I rhymed it with kaverini, which is my friend or my friends or my bud or my buddy in Finnish. And which is also the name of my, the video game series that I make as one of my day jobs. And we're going to touch upon the video games, but we're going to do it later. But I love that you were incorporating so much of your brand within the poem. It, it really captures you and, and your identity. I think you told me you shared this with your mom, right? That is correct. What'd she say? She thought it was fantastic, although <laughs> admittedly she could only understand a handful of lines. Does she have a signed copy? She should, and she will. But she doesn't yet. So. She does not, yes. Thank you, Jared. You're I really appreciate welcome. that. Very well. <laughs> So this is a, just an incredible feat. And to me, you're, you're a superhero in some way. Now, you're not jumping off buildings and putting up burning buildings, but you are a superhero in the sense that you've achieved something that very few humans have ever achieved. And I'm inspired. Thank you. As a superhero, though, you have an origin story that I don't know, but I want to hear. Can you tell us what your origin story is? I can, actually. And so it all starts sort of like when I was three years old, and my parents gave me a board book called It's a Big, 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 Big World. And I opened it up, and I was so fascinated to find out about all of these other places. And then, of course, certainly the fact that I sometimes heard languages like Spanish on Sesame Street, and that my father was uh, intermittently playing tapes of uh, Uzi Hitman, the well-known Israeli children's singer. Certainly didn't help matters much. Oh, yeah, and also did I mention him uh, reciting prayers in Hebrew like Friday evening? And so I was left with a significant fascination with um, just discovering the palates of the human tongue. And in that respect, but up until fairly late in my life, I would say like 22 or so, I thought it wasn't actually possible for me to learn a language to fluency as an adult. And then when I did, in fact, discover some online bloggers, etc., among them Benny Lewis, who went on to found the Fluent in Three Months brand, um, and then he and I, we've met in person at various conferences, uh, but he pretty much said what a lot of other researchers have said, and that adults can actually be better learners than kids. Or as another influencer, the all Japanese all the time, um, he said that you are not a worse language learner than a toddler. It just seems that way because toddlers have no escape routes. And I, if you definitely want to put your brain to a stress test and learn languages, pretend as though like you need a certain phrase to survive. 
And so like if you need to say a phrase like I want to buy a ticket in your target language and then imagine that if you have to blend in almost completely as a spy and if you don't then you will be apprehended and executed. And so magic costumes is very very helpful. So magic costumes refer to like if you're role playing is like a native speaker in this respect. And it was uh, particularly helpful in um 2017 and 2018 when I actually visited for the first time various countries that were outside of the West in 2017. I visited Myanmar, Burma, and then in Greenland. And then in 2018, I visited Fiji. And uh, while Greenland is a little bit m somewhat more adjacent to Western Europe by virtue of it being in the, the Danish Commonwealth or the Danish realm, like in a sense, I really needed the magic costumes. Uh, and here's why. Because if I'm in a place like Slovakia or Greece and I speak the local language and uh, people ask me, you speak the language, tell me, you speak the language well, do you have family from here? And then if I'm in Fiji, then I hear, you speak the language well, what church are you working for? So <laughs> you can fill in the blanks yourself with that. And um, the fact is, is that I joke about my language teaching and I say that a good one-fifth of my job is telling pessimistic students that they can do it. Uh, to a lot of people, I remember one of my Yiddish students, like we had monolingual classes in Yiddish in which she kept on repeating to herself, like, I can't speak the language well, I'm not prepared for this test. And then, of course, I was responding to her just with a bunch of optimistic uh, messages. In the, fa the irony of this all was that there was not a single word in English in that whole exchange. And so the fact is, I don't really care about, like, a lot of people may be interested in, like, who's a real polyglot and who isn't, but the fact is, is that if you stick someone in an international gathering, then it's particularly clear what they can and what they can't do. That's, uh, you know, in Yiddish we have a saying like, mizet, like, you see it. It's obvious. Yeah. Just uh, take it at face value and stop digging for faults in it. Mm -hmm. As a superhero, do you have a nemesis? Do I? Um, that's an excellent question. I would say the, the dream killer that is self-doubt. And um, that's, and I will also have an honorable mention that there are some people that dislike learning certain languages because of a negative experience that they may have had either in a country where that language is spoken or a particular person in their life who tried to discourage them from learning the language or otherwise was not particularly nice. And so my two nemeses I will tie for first place is one, this nagging self-doubt. And um, I think that that does really serve to kill a lot of dreams. And the fact is that if you don't think that you could make it, just show up a little bit longer. And that's uh, pretty much it. I definitely remember, like, back uh, 10 years ago when I started my Danish studies, uh, like, somebody actually told me that, uh, you know, Jared, you should give up. Because a lot of people, like, if you go to Copenhagen or Aarhus, then no one's going to respond to you in the local language at all. You make one tiny mistake, they'll respond in English. And then apparently what happened was, I remember January 2014, I actually met a German guy who actually lived in Aarhus, his name was Rainer. And then he and I were actually speaking Danish together for the first time. And the fact is, like, I can't believe it because, like, I had spent all of this time just 
pumping a lot of time into the Danish language, just watching a lot of the Pokemon cartoons, <laughs> precisely because I really wanted to prove the naysayers wrong. And then what happened? Mizet. Like, you see it. And then the fact is, is that, um, yeah, the Danish language is very, very tricky uh, by virtue of the fact that it has more vowels than any other official language of the EU. And that does include English, even though I believe that the United Kingdom is no longer in the European Union. And as a result, there it's, um, some people have compared it, like learning Danish as a foreigner is almost like learning English as a foreigner, where a lot of the grammar is very um, approachable. It's not like you really have to memorize a lot of tables, like in Spanish conjugation. But on oh, yeah. the other hand, there is a lot of tricky... Uh, and so, like, one uh, deadly example I give is that uh, D-A-G in uh, Danish, that's uh, day, and that means uh, exactly what it sounds like in English. So, day, and then, but if I see D-A-G-B-O-G, that's actually daubo, which is day book, and that's a diary. But the D-A-G is not pronounced day, but dao. And then, to make it even work, is, worse is that the days of the week, they end in D-A-G, but they're pronounced da at the end. So like Tosda is Thursday, not Tosday. And so as a result, there are a lot of, uh, it's almost like learning English over again. And then there are actually some native speakers who can be a little bit nitpicky in this respect. Uh, but on the other hand, they're gonna, th th those types are going to exist no matter what. In my various 20 years of Spanish studies, like, I've encountered people who literally said, like, I speak perfect Castellano, and then, like, one week later, I encounter someone who says that they can't understand me speak a single word. And, um... That's well, not very nice. You uh, know what I tell them? I tell them, Mazette, you know? <laughs> Mazette, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what I appreciate about the nemesis that you pointed out is you didn't name the people that are monolingual. Correct. That only speak one language. It sounds like they're not bad people, certainly in not. your eyes. But what is your opinion about people that speak only one language? Uh, the fact is, is that um, I think, for one, a lot of people have convinced themselves that they cannot do it. And I think that this does apply to a lot of their dreams. And then I also, the fact is that throughout the world, multilingualism is the norm. But what I think a lot of people from monolingual communities don't understand is that when I say that mono multilingualism is the norm and that speaking two to five languages is common for most people, that's not two to five languages spoken by, uh, on the level of a college graduate all the time. Usually it isn't. And so sometimes it's usually like one language, my native language, very well, and then two to four other ones that are sort of uh, like I can do my job as an Uber driver in, or alternatively, that I could ask for directions in. And in a sense, when people say that multilingualism is the norm, what I think a lot of monolingual Americans imagine is that, oh, they speak five languages as if they were, for example, talking about medical school. Not necessarily the case. Yeah. When I think about monolingualists, and musicians, I start to think of language and music very similarly, where it takes time to learn a language or an instrument. And, you know, I really thought I was going to learn a second language before I learned an instrument. Mm. And then I ended up learning piano. Uh, poor me. But I continued to learn piano. And then at some point, I was like, I want to learn guitar. 
But the old idea of, hey, maybe I should learn a second language finally before learning a second instrument. And um, ultimately, I just doubled down again on the piano, uh, like a good monolingualist. <laughs> can, can you tell me, though, like what you think is more important for humans I mean, you're not a therapist, you're not a psychologist, you can't speak to, like, this is the number one thing. But in your personal experience, because you're a musician also, do you think you would encourage others to learn an instrument first or learning a second language first? That is an excellent question. And so what I tell, what I always respond when it comes to questions like these is I make people think of genie wishes. And so imagine that you, you get Aladdin's lamp you, you rub it, out comes the genie and grants you three wishes. And then the fact is, is that if your first wish is going to be for piano, then that's what you want. And you have to genuinely role play that, that the one thing you really, really want in this respect is simply say, genie, I want to have the piano skill. And that, if that's the case, that's the right choice for you. If it's genie, I want to be able to learn Spanish to speak to my colleagues, then that's the right choice to you. And so the fact is, is that each person is going to have very, very different requests f- for the genie. And that's, I think, when you genuinely have lost the compass of your life, I encourage people to think about the genie wishes. Because then once they really just ask the genie for their most unfettered desires, then I actually really, one, get to know who they are until I get to know who, what their priorities are. I like that answer because it, it shows almost no ego. Correct. What was good for you is not necessarily good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a little disappointed because I wanted to catch you out here. Ooh. Wanted, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I look no, I'm, I'm, I love that answer that questions. you gave. And the genie idea, it's such a... I mean, it sounds so simple. Like, think about what you really want. Um, I feel I might do that later today, honestly. I, I just, that really resonates with me. Thank you. I feel like a lot of your wisdom comes from your extended travel and living in other places. Mm-hmm. And I did some research on your website, so I'm going to have to oh, no. dig that up. Yeah, I'm digging it up. You lived in Stockholm. Correct. And one of the interesting things you said about it is having lived in the chill neighborhood there, you became immune to provocation even after leaving. So, like, what can you share with us on what you learned on how to be super chill and be immune to provocation in your own words? That is an excellent question. I know that the metamorphosis happened like 10 years ago and still has yet to reverse beforehand. Um, I, you know, living in college... Uh, well, one college and then two. I also lived in Poland and in Israel as well. And uh, the fact is, is that there are a lot of people there, you know, in a liberal arts college in Jerusalem and Krakow who have very, very, very strong beliefs. And in a sense, like as Amos Oz, said, uh, Amos Oz said that he, or Amos Oz, if you prefer that pronunciation, that uh, Israel is a country of eight million messiahs. And like, as a result, like even the taxi driver is going to have a very, very just going to have significant willpower to a degree that can sometimes be uh, overwhelming. And in Sweden, in a sense, 
I notice in particular from living in Östermalm, which was sort of like the Hollywood of Stockholm and all of Sweden in general, is that, like, in a sense, there's no real, like, getting worked up about things is usually not going to be very helpful. And in a sense, getting angry does not help issues. I think that you can really convince a lot of people just simply by never losing your cool. And uh, the fact is, is that I joked to some of my friends that living in Sweden was almost like living in Minecraft. And if you've seen the Stockholm Archipelago in particular, it definitely carries a lot of the Minecraft vibes, as especially given that Notch himself is, uh, is from there and that the company that created it uh, comes from the Swedish word Mojang, which means uh, sort of like a gadget thingy. And uh, a lot of people mispronounce it Mojang. But um, that's how I pronounce it. Yeah, apparently yes. Yeah, so, uh, that's just, uh, and this is also an interesting thing between my Scandinavian heritage and my Jewish heritage, where there are a lot of creatives in like the Nordic sphere and also in the Jewish sphere. They usually tend to introduce subtle nods to their heritage in their work for a global audience, and I think that that's very helpful in realizing it's uh, somewhat a. Uh, Hashkacha Pratis. No, Hashkacha Pratis is the wrong. Hakaras Hatov. So Hashkacha Pratis is a Hebrew phrase referring to like uh, everything will turn out in the end, like divine providence. And then Hakaras Hatov is appreciating the good. And so as a result, like I came from a very good family who has been very supportive of my language learning endeavors of me making video games. And uh, they've even, my, my, my own mom actually played through my first video game covering Inuk Adventures and beat it. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And in a sense, I think that my, the, the various lessons that I had been parted via my travels and also through my various educational um, traditions that I've been very lucky to uh, inherit... Uh, almost like the word Kabbalah, interestingly, means like a reception, which is why in both Hebrew and Yiddish it also refers to like a receipt, like in a supermarket. And um, so as a result, like I'm a mekubal, like I'm, a, so I'm an, a vessel that is accepting wisdom from somewhere else. And I have to be, I have to appreciate the fact that I'm that mekubal. You know what I say to that? What do you say to that? Mazet. Mazet. <laughs> Very well. Yeah, we keep this up by the end of the podcast. We're going to have um, everybody speaking Yiddish and the golden age of Yiddish theater is going to be back in Manhattan just you wait yeah so you make video games did that start before you started all your travels Is are they related at all I mean they're definitely related because so many of your games are multicultural or multinational different languages like Tell us, like, in, in your origin story, when did you start making the video games? Okay, so I started planning the video games on June 10th, 2013. But the very seed... You know the exact day? I do, yes. Why do you know the exact day? Because I remember I was bored at a tram stop, and then I thought, you know what? I want to sketch a video game because I'm having these ideas rolling around my head. And then I literally wrote it in the notebook the day in which it happened. So you that couldn't I could just play Angry Birds like the rest of us. You had to go and make your own video game. I'm sorry. At a tram stop. Uh, yeah. Well, also, if it makes you feel any better, it was a 
in a village in Germany called Dossenheim, which is north of Heidelberg. And um, on top of that, there were a lot of constant strikes happening. And so sometimes I would show up to that trans stop, and what do you know, there would be a strike. And you know what that meant? I had to walk an hour all the way to school on the bike path, and sometimes in the frickin' rain. So um, <laughs> as a result, it was, um, gave me a lot of time to think about many things and definitely uh, appreciate the scenery. And um, in Yiddish, we have a saying, Die schwerste Arbeit ist auch umzugehen ledig, which means that walking around and doing nothing is the, the hardest work of them all. And uh, in a sense, just walking around to class why is it hard work? Why is it hard work? Because I think that a human brain does not like wasting time. And it, whatever it does, it will rationalize what it does in saying that it was useful. And so as a result, if you end up walking to the supermarket and you don't know that it's closed, and it turns out that it's actually closed, then you'll rationalize it with something like, oh, well, I burned some calories. Yeah. So things like that. And so the fact is, is that um, perhaps thanks to smartphones, a lot of people have perhaps forgotten exactly what genuine boredom is. But the good thing about Yiddish is that it has a thousand plus year history, which definitely meant that um, long before smartphones. And so because of that, I think that there are a lot of proverbs not just in yiddish but in many other languages too one of my friends batos chikawa who is the um, webmaster of universeofmemory.com he described memes no he described proverbs as stone age memes and like the same way that uh for example a lot of proverbs ended up in various and idioms as well in various places throughout the same trade networks so for example a uh, common one of these might be one that exists in some languages like Hungarian and Bulgarian, like every miracle lasts for three days. Or like another example would be he's shooting, uh, I'm trying to render this into English, he's shooting at sparrows with a cannon. Uh, this phrase exists among others in German, Danish, and Hungarian. Um, and so the fact is, is that these idioms, a lot of people, they hear this phrase and then it spreads like a meme throughout the various trade networks. And so an important thing to keep in mind as a polyglot is that you actually see from trade networks, like for example, you can see this in East Asia with places where China had influence and also in Europe and places where like German speakers had, had influence, is that a lot of similar words, a lot of phrases, some idioms, proverbs, they proliferated among the same area as well. And so this is, I remember a friend of mine said, wow, you must be a genius. He <laughs> said the 12 language. I said, well, it's interesting you say this because the Swedish word for genius is huini, and then the Slovak word is genius. And then you could probably guess the other in Yiddish, you could say goan or geni. In Hungarian, you say geni as well. And the fact is that all of these words, with the exception of goan, which comes originally from Hebrew, in fact, do have their roots from what I believe is the, the Latin word, despite the fact that Hungarian, Slovak, uh, Yiddish, Swedish are quite different from one another. Yeah, they're very different. Mm -hmm. Although Yiddish and Swedish are relatives, but not very close ones. 
you you really like proverbs, and I like the uh, the comparison to memes. Uh, I don't think our brains changed, um, you know, over the last few thousand years, and with the introduction of the computer, like the human brain was finally ready for memes. No, it was always ready for memes, and oh, it was yeah. always finding a way to scratch that itch. The proverb idea is interesting. I haven't heard that before, but I know for sure you like proverbs because, like I said, I was digging on your website, and you had twelve rules of life that seem to all use different proverbs or quotes from so many different cultures. I'd say almost 12 cultures. The one that interested me the most was Rule 9, which I think is from a video game itself or a board game. Was it from a magic card, actually? It was from Brink of Disaster? It was from a magic card, yes. Okay, a Magic the Gathering card? (laughs) Correct. Oh, my God. I love that because, like, you have a quote from Jesus there. You have a quote from, like, Sun Tzu, like... But the one that resonated with me was <laughs> the Magic the Gathering card game quote. You always have a choice. That doesn't mean you always have a good choice. That is correct. That is, uh, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, it makes me feel bad because I always want to feel like I have agency and I can make a good decision. The good decision always exists. I just haven't thought of it yet. But that quote makes me feel like, no, that sometimes I'm going to lose. Uh, whether I like it or not. Well, in Yiddish, well, another fun thing about a lot of proverbs and quotes, Aaron, is that you can also do dueling proverbs. And then in English, you have an example. Though many hands make light work, too many cooks spoil the broth. And so to this magic card quote, I can say in Yiddish, Kein Breire is Eucha Breire, which means not having a choice is also a choice. Okay. Yeah, there, there's always this, this duality to Proverbs, you, Correct. and you pointed that out. Indeed. And then some of them, I think, can be really, really f- uh, fun or funny or memorable, but you can't exactly put your finger on exactly why. Um, sadly, I can't think of too many examples right now. But um, You came up with enough examples. Right, <laughs> I don't fine, think anyone's well. going to tell you that you okay. didn't. But I want to talk about the quote that I brought up a little bit more. Like, Tell me. Do, you, do you believe that, that you always have a choice, but you don't always have a good choice available this, to you? I am so glad that you brought this up because there is this one particular scenario that language learners will find themselves in, but they don't really want to think about it. And that's when they're jet lagged or tired or hungry and that they <laughs> particularly, they... Because you're not always going to be in a very, very sound state of mind. And so what happens is that you always have to realize that because of that, you are not always going to be Superman all of the time. And so what you have to do... When it comes to talking in other languages? When it comes to doing anything, actually. And so as a result, and also one thing as an experienced polyglot, you'll actually notice is that your best languages will always remain very, very sure or very, very secure when you're like in a very difficult situation, be that uh, physical stress, be that mental stress, be that jet lagged and starved in an airport, um, having missed their connection. Like you can't flight. fly back to your home country because yes. of um, foreign relations. Correct. Yes. And you can't leave the airport. Mm-hmm. And so uh, because of that, like the fact is, is that sometimes you will have to make the best of it. And that realizing that sometimes you have to choose an option which either feels right or feels the least bad. And um, I think that a lot of people have this visualization of people like 
Olympians or politicians who always they seem as though they're on their A game significantly, but what do you do not see in public from polyglots like me is the significant pain it takes for me to like um, you know, show up, talk language not particularly well, have awkward thing happen, or sometimes forget words, or alternatively sometimes things happen. Just because you speak someone's common language does not mean that you are instantly going to be everyone's best friend. And so sometimes you may actually encounter some people who, for whatever reason, you genuinely do not click with. Does, I think that with some exceptions, perhaps maybe some indigenous languages, and even then that's very highly debatable, knowing someone's native language to any degree is always an advantage. Um, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, and what you're saying earlier is that like these star athletes, they just seem to like succeed all the time. You don't see them failing, but a polyglot has to continue to fail until things just start to work. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, Niels Bohr, the uh, Danish physicist, he actually said, and I, I literally bring this up to all of my students, that an expert is someone who has made every single possible mistake within a given field. And... um the fact is, is that if you really want that piano skill, if you really want that drawing skill, if you really want that language skill, like get on the keyboard, get on the easel, talk to yourself in the mirror and just let all of those bad sentences or bad drawings or out. Uh, I like the sound effect. I'm going to keep that in. What I, what I don't understand, though, is now with the genie, should I be asking the genie, hey, I want to be able to have the grit and discipline and even the enjoyment of failing for this craft or art or science that I want to pursue? Or should I just ask the genie for me to become super proficient at whatever that thing was to begin with? Hmm. That is beyond an excellent question, Aaron. So if we're talking about the... Um, I would probably wish the, the genie the, the skill to never give up. And um, I think the understanding of having a plan is always going to work. A lot of people can have very, very gifted brains for whatever that thing. And even then, I've noticed a lot of people um, who seem to have significant advantages with gifted brains. And... Part of me even doubts the fact that gifted brains even exist in a sense. I know that that can be particularly controversial. I don't what is a gifted brain? Someone who's just naturally willing to put up with some of the failing and enjoy that? Or the people that are just, they, don't, they skip the failing part. They just go right to the, the winning. Well, so remember that proverb I said earlier that uh, every miracle mass lasts for three days? I do remember. So the fact is that this is precisely when it's applicable. It might particularly seem that like someone made college their ultimate playing ground. They got the highest possible honors, uh, got A's in all of the classes, but then they go on to the next environment, and then what? And then the fact is, is that there might actually be someone who you I feel... I see you did research on me also. Uh, me? Uh, no, I'm, kid I'm making a joke. <laughs> I'm making a joke. Maybe unconsciously. Like a lot of things, people, you know, they go through various things in their dreams... And then they actually forget entirely that they happened. Like, to some degree, a lot of people don't realize that uh, everyone actually dreams every single night, but it doesn't always seem that way because your dream memory can be particularly fickle. 
Yeah. And in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, your dreams are just another dimension you. And I don't know how that experience gets into your brain in this dimension, but... uh, Believe it or not, thank you. I've never brought this up in any of the interviews before, Aaron. But you can actually use your dreams for language practice. And so, like, do you tell I, your students that? I, I, I did. Like, the fact is, is that sometimes you can encounter native speakers in your dream and actually talk to them accordingly. However, here's, here's a catch. Sometimes you will actually find yourselves with, uh, in a bit like the starving airport si- situation where you're very, it's very, very hard for you to get out coherent sentences in any language. And so, I remember several times, like, I, had a dream in Norwegian in which I was tongue-tied. And then, like, I wake up instantly, and then I just simply start rattling off in the language to ensure that I, oh, oh, great, I do actually have those skills. And so, because sometimes your dreams can lock away certain parts of your personality or your skill set. And then, um, to use yet another proverb, this one that exists in, like, Yiddish and Hungarian, a, a, a rock falls off of your heart. When you finally find out that uh, everything, the the disaster isn't as it seems. Mazette. Mazette. The other night, I actually wrote uh, an article about this on my website. Yeah. And essentially, I was making a catastrophe in my head. It was well past my bedtime. And I was, I don't know, just looking to like polish my resume a little. And... What was just fascinating to me was um, I had this white space on my resume. And I was like, I must fill this white space. Um, And I ran into the problem where I couldn't fill it. So I got creative. I was looking at all the companies I worked at, seeing if they created any patents recently on the technologies I was, you know, working on. And I came across one that looked like something I had worked on but I didn't see my name on the patent. And I got so, you know, frustrated that I went and made a grilled cheese sandwich because I was like, I, I can't do this right now. So well, I was making the grilled cheese sandwich and thinking like, ah, oh, like I got to reach out. I got to like ask like, why wasn't I included on the patent? That's so mean of them. Um, my resume will never be as good as it could be because I don't have this, this one patent. And then it dawned on me that I didn't look at the figures in the patent. I was just, like, quickly looking at just the words. And then, you know, I was like, wait. Also, the date on the patent was when I had recently joined early enough that it, even though it was granted recently, it was submitted so early on in my tenure at that company that it actually wouldn't make sense for me to be included on that patent. So I I then looked at the figures later, but over these 15 minutes of getting so frustrated and catastrophizing I mispronounced that word. That's a hard word to pronounce. I'm not going to attempt you did it. it. Okay. Uh I made a catastrophe in my head and then it went away and nothing changed in the real world. There was no patents that got changed. There was no one even knew. Everyone was asleep probably in the world. I was up way past my bedtime making a grilled cheese sandwich and updating a resume. So that was just fantastic to me that like I'm capable of not only creating problems that will 
do me great trouble, but also fixing any problem in my head. And all I have to do is change how I think about it. Indeed. I'm somewhat reminded of uh, what's the line from Disney's Luca, like Silencio Bruno, which like be, be quiet, bro. And so like when you have self-doubt or anything of that nature, then just simply what I do to myself is I say empty brain in any one of the languages that I know. And that actually serves to like take any dormant worry that I have and sort of like banish the monsters back into wherever they come from. And so I think that this is probably, uh, because I'm in my 30s now, probably the most valuable skill I've gotten in my 30s so far is the actually ability to tell myself empty brain. <laughs> and I think that uh, to some degree I realize that for some it can't always be an equivalent of like a magic word. That, but I think that sometimes the magic word will actually gain efficacy over time, like the more that you use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I have a magic word, but the idea of emptying... One. Magic gesture works, I mean, too. I'm... Okay, I was lying. I might have one, but I'm not sharing it here. Okay. It's secret. Ooh. Secret. Ooh. Yeah. Inspector Patronum. No, it's in my one. day book. That means diary. <laughs> good job very thank good. you yeah i'm listening to you as you wow. talk who knew indeed oh you're gonna you're gonna be a polyglot you're gonna come to one of these conferences any day now uh the next one i think is in budapest in october and then there's one in penang in malaysia in december so <laughs> oh there's always room for one more polygon and here's the thing what a lot of people don't realize about polyglot conferences is that the only language you need to speak for them is your mother tongue that's it the fact is that they they don't they don't say, like, you, have, you must have this many Yeah, there's no entrance yeah. exam. Exactly, yeah. So if you, if you love languages, come in. I want to hear more about this, like, underground scene, though, in the polyglot world. Are people doing crazy stuff? Are you, like, dining with, like, the prince and princesses of all these, like, foreign nations? Are you, like, doing espionage? Like, there's got to be more going on that us monolingualists don't get to experience i will say this i think that a lot of creativity does really happen in a lot of the various language learning spheres and here's why i think it's because a lot of people the world over are really getting very bored of a culture that's increasingly marked uh, my friend brian Liu, who is a, a malaysian scholar of North American indigenous languages, he refers to this as the Starbucksification of the world. And a sense a lot of people are really, really just getting sick of a lot of the global corporatized culture. And so where are they going? They're going to the underground dungeons where many other languages are spoken as well. And so as a result, they'll actually be able to taste music from different other different other cultures as well. They'll be able to encounter memes. Or in some cases, what a lot of polyglots don't realize is that they're entire genres of jokes. Yes, you heard that right. Entire genres of jokes which do not exist in in English. And so, is it just English or the idea of speaking one language? Um, well, to some degree, um, like for example, in the Scandinavian languages, there's this sort of joke called like the all, all the kids joke, and then um, Swedish alla barnhemt and it's sort of like a rhyming thing, and a lot of them can usually tend to be quite violent or crude, and so I'm not going to say any of them on the air. 
Um, Thank you. This is a children's show. <laughs> exactly. Despite the fact that the, the 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 name of the joke is actually all the children, but um, it's say no more. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's, okay. It's sort of like all the children did or were this, except for name of child, and then he or she did some rhyming thing with that that should not be mentioned on the air. So this entire series of jokes, like I don't like. For someone from Denmark, where I believe they originated, or Norway or Sweden, these jokes do not need any introduction. But um, I actually do yes, remember for all my uh, Scandinavian listeners. Yeah, all right, I actually do remember one. So, um, so Alavon Vistavon. Um, Wait, this is this is family friendly. This is family friendly. Alavon Vistavon. Uh, in Alavon went var förutom Don han var amerikan. So everyone knew what a um alabarn joke was except for dan he was american like that so uh i did I, hear the rhyme that's all i picked up on. very well well the, the rhyme is the only thing that really makes them funny so <laughs> very well with living in all these different countries i feel like there's a lot of propaganda that each country is peddling wow I mean, you are totally right like let's hear some propaganda that you think might be interesting or conflict with each other okay so i definitely uh the fact is is that this is true like among the full democracies as true as it actually is among the authoritarian states like obviously if you go to a place like myanmar and you walk up to the mandalay palace they literally have a sign there saying that the army will crush all of those who oppose the union or uh, uh, things like that um on the other hand like sometimes i remember when i went to the Swedish embassy to Poland to get my residence card when I was going to study for the Paideia Institute. I remember just simply looking at some of the brochures that were in English saying that uh, um, like we hope that all, con- all other countries will follow our lead when it comes to human rights. And so things, things of that nature as well. And then what happens in my second week in Sweden is that a tour guide, Ulf, who is a priest in the Church of Sweden, he said... Um, we Swedes have a lot to be ashamed of. And uh, in a sense, the fact is, is that there's this sort of, the brochure you get to see at the embassy, and then sometimes the dark secrets always manage to come out um, as a result of just you living there or just simply talking to, to some of the people. I didn't realize it. Sweden had dark secrets, but I, I th- were they excused from the colonization in the early 20th century of the continent of Africa? Um, okay, I'm not in, a little bit fuzzy around the details, but definitely concerning some things related to the Sami, for example, and that entire struggle. Like, um, the fact is that you have somewhat similar to like what happened in Standing Rock in the Wakota Nation around, like what is it, seven years ago, in like 2018, not 2018, 2016, that entire, um, that entire thing. And um, so the fact is, is that there were also in Skansen, which is the outdoor zoo park, uh, also industrial, pre-industrial revolution time capsule that is, in my opinion, one of Sweden's best places to visit. They actually do have entire exhibitions like showing like to what degree racial science or like forced sterilizations were... Um, mm. And to what degree they, they occurred there. And uh, again, the fact is, I remember one of my friends, my boss from, from Poland, he said, you know you're a member of a country when, or like you're a member of a nation when 
you are ashamed of its actions. Like, that's how you know, like, that you belong to country X. That's not a proverb, but that should be a proverb. Indeed. That's great. You're you're making a tile game that is pretty interesting. Thank it, you. it 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 sounds like Scrabble, but you can make words out of any language, and you could earn points. Oh, that was an April Fool's Day joke. But, oh my God, I fell for an April Fool's Day joke. But I will let you know this: I was playing oh, there, but there's this word game. I think it's called like Wow or something, where you have to like uh, you're given like five letters, and then you have to um, rearrange them so that you can put the various ones into like a crossword grid that is an available is in fact available in 30 plus languages and so what do i do i just like switch the language every single every single level and then i i'm about a week ago to instagram i actually posted a screenshot of it from the slovak version which because r can actually be a vowel the fact is is that um the letters involved to the english i actually had no vowels at all and so you had words like krst, meaning like a baptism, or tr, meaning like a market square. And then as a result, like what an English speaker sees is, how do I make words? How do I make words in the dates? What? What are you okay. doing with your mouth? Uh, I think I was probably trying to do some uh, variety of <laughs> accent that I might have heard in my childhood days in Maryland. But I think I might need a little bit more water for that. Yeah, I'm not going to put a... American Southern accent as one of your languages. Okay, Sorry. I'm going to keep right. working on that. Funny you mention that because in Austin, Texas, they actually, I, I kid you not, the, in my experience in Austin, Texas, the uh, public transport signs, the pr pu public transport has the automated voices with a Southern accent. I always get a kick out of public transport systems and how they use so many different speakers. Sometimes it's robotic. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a man or a woman. It's, it shows character. I like the Boston one because it, to me, for some reason, it reminds me of the Walt Disney World uh, haunted house ride where Ooh. the the Ooh. the intercom voice is like, please keep your hands and knees inside the car at all times. Like that's how he <laughs> talks. Yeah. But for the um the the Boston public transport system, I, I I might be the only one that thinks of the two like that. But that's why I like that one. Indeed. Yeah. I do actually know that um the Hungarian heavy metal band AWS actually did this song about the the morning the, the morning the, the morning train ride and apparently it did in fact occlude within the lyrics um a snippet or two of some of the the automated voices in the lyrics and i'd heard like the erasmus students from spain actually did like have an odd sense in listening to the song i think it's called a i think it's the name of the song in, in hungarian and they said wait what wait no i actually recognize like Keep away if the doors are closing. So, <laughs> Jared, yes. this was a fantastic oh, chat. You. Oh, wow. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about anything you're working on oh, or yeah. want to draw attention to. All right. So um, my first game came out 
in May 2022. It's uh, Kaverini Nuke Adventures. I somewhat describe it to my friends a bit as like if Earthbound or Mother 2 had a baby with a travel guide. And so this is a sort of fantastic reimagination of my trip to Greenland, which happened on October 2017. And uh, it's fully available on the Steam store for uh, the computers, the Mac, PC, Linux. And I'm working on another one. And this one's actually going to be set in Congo, Kinshasa. And this one's due out on iOS and Android, this being a phone game, in a few months. Um, aside from that, I'm also learning Galician right now because I also do work with some Latin dances as well. And we do have a lot of guests from Spain. And so I figured, you know, me having Castellano as a result of the partying misadventures and the Erasmus students in Poland included uh, some of those adventures included not not my fault not something I would approve of but multiple emptied fire extinguishers five callings of the police and then eventually a the building being sold to luxury developers um, but uh, the fact is is um, I wanted to be able to bond like some of my friends from my European Spanish-speaking friends in other ways and definitely you encounter Basque and kind of Galicians encounter people from Catalonia and I figured that that was the next step and so I'm really looking forward to it like I already did meet a Galician girl like a few weeks ago uh, not a few weeks ago a few days ago and uh, she was like really really shocked that I managed to speak any of it at all especially because Galician is sort of like Portuguese's older brother that not a lot of people really know about like a thousand years ago they used to be the same language and um well it makes sense then yeah. to, to learn that now indeed well, an important thing, um, well, above all, I would really say, if you really want to genuinely become a polyglot, avoid the languages you know well when you're like consuming entertainment. That's very, very helpful. And I know that the temptation to like turn the channel to a language you understand is strong, but try to avoid it. 30 minutes of learning a language every day. That The rest is commentary. Go and play.